Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Beautiful. How's everyone doing today? Three people are doing great. Anyone else doing all right? All right, we're going to be doing something a little bit different today. If you are new, my name's Dave, and this is Nigel. Did you want to say something about yourself, Nigel? Uh, no. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hi, everyone. I'm a, a local. I'm part of the church. I also lecture at one of the theological colleges here in WA, and that's why we're having a conversation. We're going to have a conversation. So, um, we are going to be um, talking about some things today, and um, we're going to be... Um, not delving into a specific scripture, but we're generally going to be talking about scripture. And uh, before we kick off, I wonder, um, Bryce, if you've got that other slide. Um, because what I'd love to do as we're um, going through this is if you have any questions, it will be great if you can stump the professor. Maybe we should have like a segment. Can you stump the professor? Um, so not hard. Um, It really isn't hard. <laughs> um, so you can text your questions there. I will actually make sure I'm looking on this. But what we're going to be talking about today is something which I thought for a long part of my life was just kind of sterile and a little bit like, what has that got to do with my life? And it was a subject of the law, um, the law. So I want to actually lead into that and then we're going to um, ask um, Nigel some questions about it. Um, but if you've been journeying with Newspring, you'll know that this year we're actually paying very close attention to the story of God. Um, and we've been using this framework, um, which some of you guys will be uh, should be quite familiar with at the moment. Um, we've got a slide, there's some cards even in the foyer. We've been talking about the story of God in these terms, that God actually has a goal. Um, he actually articulates in his word in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, the end of Revelation, that there actually is a goal um, that God has in mind. He has dreams, he has aspirations, there is a purpose, there is an intent. And um, what we find in the story of God, and as we look out into the world, is that there may well be a goal, but it seems that things have gotten very, very, very messy. Um, there's a lot of mess. Um, and, and part of the issue is that all of us contribute to the mess, don't we? I don't know if you've got that slide that you can chuck up there, um, Bryce, as well. Um, there's a mess. So um, this is a bit of the conundrum. Where it's kind of, it's, it's a messy world. And then the story of God moves from this identification of the mess, which is quite complex. Um, the mess involves not just a mess that happened in, gar in the Garden of Eden, um, but a mess that also happened in the heavenlies. And there's actually some complexity with that and after that we actually have the plan and it kind of makes sense you know as soon as you see the the kind of pinnacle of this mess in Genesis 11 behold Genesis 12 comes and God initiates an amazing plan to actually um, reclaim what is rightfully his and that's the story of God um, some of the words that we've um, used traditionally are creation for redemption we've just tried this year to actually use some language which is probably a little bit more modern calling it goal there's a mess and there's a plan. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, um, the logic goes like this. Um, you're saved. We use that word saved. What are you saved from? Well, I'm saved from the mess, right? What are you saved to? I'm saved from the mess and now I'm saved to the goal. And now that I'm a Christian, I'm also part of the plan. So that's kind of the logic that we've been doing. So today we're actually going to do a bit of a dive. I don't know how deep we'll get. I'm hoping it's a bit of a deep dive. Um, into this concept or this idea of the law, which 
um, comes about as God actually starts initiating his plan in the story of God. And um, like I said, we're, we're pretty blessed to have Nigel. So if you have any questions as we're talking or even any questions now, um, feel free to text them in. That number will always um, be up there. Um, that's my number, so most people know my number anyway, so don't abuse it, but you can use it. Uh, anyway, um, before we lead into it, um, I just want to briefly just tell you a little bit about my story. So um, I grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic church for the first um, 32 years of my life. I know, I still look 32, don't I? <laughs> Young and beautiful. Um, and um, I actually grew up in, in, a, in a large church, and we were kind of the pioneers of what was then called, I don't know if we use that same language now, it was then called like this seeker-sensitive kind of approach to church. And um, that kind of approach meant that there was specific teaching and we did things in a specific way. And um, we had monthly series, and um, uh, it, it was actually um, quite prescriptive. You know, do these three things and you will kind of get this. And, and that kind of built a lot of momentum and actually built a lot of things. But as I kind of grew up and I'd go to Bible college and reflecting on it, I kind of reflect upon that, see, um, that season in my life, which was beautiful and it was amazing. But because we went from this portion of Scripture to that portion of Scripture to that portion of Scripture, on reflection, I never actually knew the story of God. And because I didn't know the story of God, I didn't actually know who Jesus was. I didn't know what Jesus was doing. I didn't know who God was. I didn't know really who I was in relationship to God or who I was in relationship to this world. So I actually grew up for a large part of my life thinking I actually had nothing to contribute in this world, that there was actually um, nothing um, for me to do. So, I mean, part of that you could probably guess has actually formed my role as a senior pastor. Like we are actually quite um, intentional in actually trying to bring the full story so we do understand that. But one of those things that I, I've come upon um, learning upon reflection is that when I considered the law um, that you read in the Bible, I seriously thought, like, what in the world does that have to do with me? Like, nothing, surely. We're a New Testament church. And because of that, I knew nothing of Israel's story um, leading up to that. And as I've grown, as I've matured, as I've studied, um, my um, view and vision of the law of God given to his people has drastically changed. That I, I can see that, like, the law of God is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It was instruction as given for freedom. It's, it's instruction that was given as a gift. And um, that, that's kind of where, where I'm kind of moving towards. And I'm hoping that as we discuss some of this stuff, um, maybe some of you are kind of where I was a couple of years ago. You know, it's like, oh, what's the, what's the Old Testament have to do with us? What does the law of God have to do with us? Um, and um, we want to talk about that. And again, um, if you've got some questions, shoot them through and I'm sure... Nigel, not me, he'll answer them. I'll ask him, he'll answer them. So um, we're blessed to have Nigel here. And from the beginning, um, I think one of the things that would be great, if you can kind of retell the story of God leading up to this giving of the law and actually give a bit of the backstory, as a, unless sure. you want to um, add some comments before you kind of go into that. Something we may want to pick up on later is what we mean by law and yes. how we frame that, but we may pick up on that later. Um, yeah, it's really important to understand the background story and I love the way we've been doing it here in terms of trying to paint the big picture of the whole um, journey of scripture. 
But in particular, I want to pick up on Genesis through into Exodus and to get a, a sort of helicopter view of that story. So Genesis chapters 1 to 12, we, we start with the, the goal. The goal. We, well, and then we go into the mess. Okay, so we start with things good, chapters 1 and 2. Things start to go downhill and, and really you can read chapters four, uh, 3, uh, particularly 4 on, uh, to chapter 11 as an increasing move downhill, interestingly we, with some hints that things aren't all bad. So it's a, a messy picture of, you know, things not being as they should be. And that's both with people and the world around and everything else. All of a sudden we get to chapter 12, and chapter 12 is really important because Abraham comes on the scene. And Abraham's a really interesting character. I don't know if you've ever sort of stopped to look at him, but he sort of just appears. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Out of nowhere. Yeah, out of nowhere. And he's actually painted really interestingly. The first little part of chapter 12, you get God giving his promises to Abraham of great number of descendants, lands become a great people, through whom all of the nations of the world will receive blessing. What follows right after this, and I think this is really intentional, is we get this picture of Abraham who then basically prostitutes his, tries to prostitute his wife to save his own skin because Pharaoh thought she looked really good. I don't know if you read that story, but I don't think it's coincidence that that story comes straight after Abraham appears on the scene. Why? Because we want to make sure that Abraham's not held up as this super holy person who's selected because of his super holiness. He's a really fallen, failed human being. So we start to get this picture of God interacting with a real set of people, if that mm. makes sense, starting yeah. with Abraham. We then spend the rest of Genesis through to chapter 50 is really the story of the unpacking of that first part of chapter 12 where we get these promises of descendants becoming a people becoming a blessing to all nations. And we end up with uh, a great famine in the land and uh, Joseph, his brothers and so on, um, Israel and his descendants become foreigners in Egypt. And Joseph is really powerful. You know, the, we've had movies, you probably know the story, okay. Uh, but it's really fascinating how chapter 50 ends with the, the word, the Hebrew word that says, in Egypt making a point that, okay, we've got a few descendants in looking at the promises, but we don't have a land. We're actually out of the land that was promised because God pointed it out to him earlier, and they're in another land. Time passes. We move into chapter 1 to 4, 1 to 3 of Exodus, and what happens? A pharaoh arises who doesn't know who Joseph was, you know, and Joseph was a real cool character, as we know, and the Jews get enslaved and they basically get really treated poorly. So here are these people, here's this family who's become a people, so think back to chapter 12, mm -hmm. the promise of becoming a great people who become a nation. That's now come to pass, but the trouble is they're now slaves in a foreign land and the question is, well, where's God's promises happening? And then we get the story of uh, the call of Moses and the uh, plagues, which we did fairly recently, actually. Yeah, Matt yeah. did. Yeah, that's yeah. on the, um, the podcast, so yeah. check it out. 
And uh, we basically get the, the people moving out of the land where they're oppressed towards the promised land. So, so we're getting this movement towards the final part of the promise, well, almost final part, there's the blessing to all nations bit, still got to come. But we get the, the, the individual becomes a family, becomes a people, move towards the land. And we get through to chapter 19 of Exodus and the people stop at the mountain in the, the wilderness and they make a covenant with God. Now, a covenant, we still use that term nowadays. When do we use that really? term? Really? Sometimes a marriage. Sometimes, sometimes also property. Yeah, property, we do that. Make agreement. It's make an agreement with someone. And, you know, usually there's rights and obligations on both sides. And same, same, really, with the people of God and God. They make a covenant to be in relationship with each other. Now, what's really interesting is, go back earlier, and God already says, I have heard the cries of... My people, mm. yeah. So it's nothing the people have done that makes them God's people. Yeah. It's God's promises that makes them God's people. And that's really important when we get to chapter 20. We've, they've made a covenant and then we get what we call the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, whatever you want to call it, the summary of the law. It occurs in Exodus 20, gets repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, when you ask most people how do the Ten Commandments start, they'll go... I oh, know, you tricked me with that one I know, yourself. I did. Go on, you so did. what did you say? Well, I started with the first commandment. Yeah. And then, like, I, but I knew he was tricking me because Nigel's very, very smart. He's very, very tricky. Um, but, yeah. He's just suspicious. Yes. <laughs> no, so it starts, you are my people whom I brought out of Egypt. And there's an implied, therefore, you shall worship no other gods but me, etc. So right at the start of this giving of the summary of the law, there's this, very clear statement that the law doesn't make them God's people. The statement is, you are my people, now because you are my people, I'm giving you these laws. Yeah. So this picture we get painted is that the law, which so often people have read as this is what you must do to be... God's people. God's people or to be acceptable to God, yeah. for God to like you or to approve of you, even in the, the Hebrew Bible, which most people think is law, not grace. Well, sorry, that's rubbish. Let me not beat around the bush with that one. Um, <laughs> even here we got, these are God's people by his free choice, by his choosing for them to be his people, so that they will be a blessing to other people, and then he gives them the law. Yeah. And really the law paints a picture. Paints a picture of how you are to behave as one of God's people. Can I keep going? Yeah, you can keep going. All right. I've got a heap of questions, but I'll I know, but I'm, I'm going to roll. I know. Um, <laughs> and the question is why? Why does he paint this picture? Because he wants the people to show who he is and what it means to be in relationship with him, to be one of their people, to the people around. Sometimes we forget that all this occurs in a context. You know, four odd thousand years ago, yeah, that's about right. That's about right. Um, you know, Israel was living amongst a bundle of other nations who had ways of behaving, who had ways of worshipping their gods, who had ways of relating to each other that God wanted to revise so that his nature would become apparent, that he was a different God 
to the gods of the other nations and that living as a worshipper or in relationship with this God looked different because the God was different. So that's why the law was given, not to make you approved of God, but actually to show who God is and what it means to be one of his people. Yeah. So that's the summary. Yeah, well, there was a lot of information there. So if I, that was a big summary. But if you could condense that into, like someone like came and had a coffee with you after this and said, okay, Nigel, heard everything you said. If you could actually condense that a bit, how would you describe the law to me? What, how would you define that? Paints a picture of how we're to live as one of God's people, not to become because one. Because we are, yep. Yeah. yeah, I think that mindset shift would change a lot. Mm. That would actually really change our posture towards each other. Um, and also kind of like, like part of my upbringing, like I was talking, we were in the seeker-sensitive kind of moment. Um, and a lot of that upbringing I found was, um, I went to church and it was, it was a lot about sin management. Um, what do you mean by that? You know, like you, like, you know, you don't do this. This is a way to... Over- like it was, it was this... But it actually brought this mentality that I'm not right with God. I need to do this in order to become right with God. Mm. But going back to the very beginning and actually understanding, okay, this is kind of the, the, how we relate to each other, how we relate to God, not in order to be right with God, but because I already am. That's actually a mindset shift. Mm. And that could actually do a lot of pastors out of business, really. They might have to change, um, change that, you know. Cause it's mm. a different approach to actually looking at Scripture and looking to God. It, it actually makes being a Christian more difficult, I think. Okay, it's explain a lo- that. It's a lot easier to say, these are the rules, follow the rules. For sure. And you're in or you're out. You know, you're right or you're wrong, you're okay with God or you're not, if you follow these rules. The challenge is, and, and Paul's letter to the, the Galatian church, mm. um, is really the whole letter is all about this. It says, basically it says, you're free from the requirements of the law. But, he says, what are you going to do with that freedom? Absolutely, yeah. And he said, basically, uh, uh, most people be... Well, most. Let's try it again. Many people have been Christians for a while, be familiar with the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh in Chapter 5 of Galatians. And often we'll look at one or the other. But Paul actually puts them there to say, they're choices you have as Christians. Often people will read that and think, oh, the fruit of the Spirit is what you do if you're a Christian and the works of the flesh is what you do if you're not. No. Paul's actually saying, if you read the whole book, and look, they're letters, read them all. Don't just read little bits. Um, But Paul's saying, okay, you are free of the law. The law is good. Don't get me wrong, he says. The law is good, but you're not bound by the law. You stand by grace. So this grace and Mm. law tension is really strong in Paul's works, and particularly in Galatians. But he says, you you need to choose which you will do. So... The law doesn't bind us in one way, but it does in another. We, we are free to choose to follow the law, and God wants us to. Let me be really clear on that, because it shows who he is, and it makes us a different people to the mm. people around us, but we have to choose. Yeah. It doesn't make us right with God. Let me be really clear on that. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is all... And our acceptance of that is what makes us right with God. That's why it's good news. We don't have to earn our standing with God. That's why it's good news. It's great news. It is. And too many people think God disapproves them because of what they do. Yeah. And that's going back to working under law. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, let's get a little bit of brass tacks because um, just with that mindset shift, okay, 
this law, this instruction is given because I am part of this people, God's and, people. And can I say instruction? That's yep. a, a good translation of yes. be, much better than, than law. Like Torah is the Jewish Hebrew word for it. Yeah. But we often use the word law, but instruction is much yeah. better because it's the... the I, I think there's language issues. Yeah. I think like even like with our trying to use some more contemporary language, because um, even as Australians, we don't like law, do we? Well, I was I was listening to um, some um, leaders um, this week talking about a, a social issue, and one of them just said, "Oh, we just need to come to terms. Australians don't like being told what to do." That word "law" automatically puts up a front, mm. but to actually take a word and actually um, just translate it or, or think about it differently, like instruction, that's actually a more palatable word, but it's also a word that actually provides much more freedom. And liberty. So, in light of that, I want to actually get down to some brass tacks. When we're talking about this instruction that's been given by God because we are His people, how does that, well, what's the outworking? What does community look like? Um, does that have an impact on what it means to be human? Because if, like, like I think Abraham, family, nation, okay, people, people of God, this is a community. So, the Lord needs to actually outwork what does that community look like? Well, that's what the, 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 the Torah, the instruction, the, the law paints. Um, let me give one quick example from yep. back then that people often misinterpret and then maybe we'll talk a bit more. Is that all right? Yeah, for sure. So one um, law people like to object to is the eye for an eye law. And they think uh, object to or misinterpret. Uh, let, me, let me explain. Why did God say an eye for an eye? Basically because what used to happen at that time, and we still see it even today, is someone attacks, say, for example, your family member. What happens is retribution that is excessive. So you attack my brother or wife or sister or father, whatever, I will kill your whole family. That's what happened back then. So excessive retribution. Um, what God was saying, no, let the response be proportionate yeah. to what happened. So if you're only had injured in a minor way, then the retribution, the repayment, if you want to use that term, and sometimes it was just repayment, was to be equivalent, proportionate. And you know, that eye for an eye is the general principle of proportional response, appropriate response. And then throughout the law, there's actually stated responses. You know, if, if you destroy a neighbour's cow, how much is that yeah. worth and all that sort of stuff. So it's trying to paint a picture of just response, yeah. appropriate response, which is quite different from the, the people around. And I think that's the big deal here. Yeah. That the law paints a picture of a people who will look different. Yeah. Now, the bad news is, by and large and I'm going to dump on everyone here, including me, Christians in the Western world basically look pretty much like everyone else in their community around them. And this should be a challenge to us. Our behaviour, our attitudes, our thoughts actually should look different if we're followers of God. So the law comes down to discipleship. How much do we let the, the spirit work in us to transform us to look different? Yeah. 
Now, let me say, we're never going to be perfect, never going to get there this side of eternity, but we should be looking different. Yeah. Our attitudes should be looking different. Our behaviours should be looking different. And frankly, for Christians, you know, it's like, oh, the law doesn't apply, it's Old Testament. Jesus actually took the law and took it a way, way further point, you know, you know not don't kill your That's right. neighbour, don't hate them. That's right. You know, not um, don't give a proportionate response, give a generous response, mm. you know, and so on. You know, not hate your enemies, love your friends, but love your enemies and so on. Jesus actually makes it really, really hard. And the question we have to ask is how do, much do we look like in Matthew 5 on the, the Sermon on the Mount, yeah. which how many years ago you did that? About a couple three of years, years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is a really good um, picture of what yeah. it looks like to be one of God's people and that's maybe the mirror we should hold up to ourselves and say, how are we doing? Yeah. Now, as I said, it requires work. We have to cooperate with the Spirit in this. We have to make choices in this. So, and sometimes it's, I love the word messy, mm. sometimes it's messy because the stuff we deal with today looks very different from what Jesus was teaching yeah, absolutely. his disciples about the context. The principles remain, but we have to do the work of getting what is the principle and bringing it into today. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, I think mess is a really good thing. Um, I think one thing that's happened, um, especially as I've grown up in, in, in the church, is that our Christian faith has become very, very individualistic. Mm. But some of this, well, actually all of this, if we're talking about this is what it means to be God's people. And if the promise is as God's people, God is going to use you to reclaim the other nations, which means that there's this hospitality, this welcome, there's this generosity. It actually implies that we actually need each other in order to do this discipleship needs to happen together it's not going to necessarily happen with with programs and all that it's going to happen with rubbing shoulders together and another thing which um i really i really do believe and again i've come from that pentecostal background um is that this is what it actually means to be prophetic in this world um prophetic means to actually provide and and demonstrate something that is so co contrastingly different um and I think that's the opportunity that we really have. But, gee, it's hard work. Mm. Man, I find it, I, man, I find it hard. I don't know about you. You're obviously yeah. more up there than me. But yeah, no. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because one of the hardest things for us to do is to see our own culture. You know, the, I love the saying, you know, does a fish see the water it swims in? Do we see the air we walk through? You know, if you... I love satellite shots and, you know, you see the atmosphere around the earth. Yeah. It's really obvious there, but when we're in it, we don't see it. And our culture's like that. And I think being in community, we can ask questions of each other, encourage each other, challenge each other, you know, support each other. We can do stuff in community that we can't do alone. Um, I was just chatting with one of the um, worship team earlier this morning, saying thank you, because... I can't do that. Yeah. I play a stereo, you know. Yeah. That's as far as my musical talent goes. And I really appreciate things that people do that I can't, mm. you know. I'm really good at some things and appalling at others. Yeah. And that's why we need to be that body of Christ. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think you, you slightly touched on it um, before, but there's one question. How is uh, um, the law of Moses um, similar or different to the other laws 
of the other nations of the ancient Near East? That's a great question, actually, because there, there are other laws, and some of them are surprisingly similar in some parts and surprisingly different in others. And it's like a lot of things. Um, in some ways will look like the cultures around, in some ways will look starkly different. And generally, it's the principles that make the difference. So the value for human life, for example, mm -hmm. that comes out in the Torah yep. and in Jesus' teachings and everywhere else, was starkly different to the cultures around. So the way everyone was valued in Israel was, was in sort of a key part of the law and uh, why Jesus summarised the law with love God and love your neighbour. Yep. So the people around you, your neighbour is whoever's around you, he, he goes on to say, um, including your enemies. You know, the Good Samaritan story was that example. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas in the other nations, and we even see it in other um, belief systems today, including the, the, the secular belief system, human life is not valued as much. You know, um, you know, people are not valued for being people. They're, they're valued for what they contribute to society, for yeah. example, and things like that. And, yeah, so does that sort of... Yeah, I think so. I think we even, like, when we were talking about um, the ancient Near East creation stories mm. a couple of months ago, we were talking about this distinction mm. um, about our god Yahweh as opposed to the other gods and how they used humanity, whereas like, just contrastingly kind well, of well different. Well, that is Torah. Yeah. I don't know if I made that really clear, but Genesis through to Deuteronomy is what the the section of Hebrew scriptures called Torah, yep. called the instruction. So the the narrative stories, the uh, the laws, the cultic laws and the social laws, all that sort of stuff, is all Torah, is all instruction for us to understand yep. how to to be God's people. Yep. Mm. I want to I want to delve um, start moving into the New Testament, but there's a mm. question um, that was asked. And it might prov provide a segue, but also um, get some of the understanding of, of one of these, mm. um, the Sabbath. Yep. Um, so the question was asked, is the Sabbath important or needed in today's society? Yes. That's what you get for asking me a closing-ended question. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, sir, um, Nigel. <laughs> yeah. I think Jesus' teaching on this is really helpful. Yeah. He says the Sabbath was made for people, not people the for the Sabbath. Yeah. But he didn't dismiss the Sabbath. Yeah. He just said, don't make it legalistic. Mm. Uh, I really think we can learn something important from, for example, the Jewish perspective on the Sabbath, where they, that's the start of the week. We work for the weekend in the Western world. So work becomes the focus. The Jewish worldview is you start from rest. And so being is more important than doing and yet in the West, doing seems more important than being. So I think in terms of just well-being, making space, stopping, is really important. I think also the Jewish perspective on what people are judged on is really important here. Mm. Most people don't know that one of the perspectives the Jews have is that we're judged for how much we enjoy the creation God has given us. You can only do that if you're not working. Okay, yeah. You know, you're distracted. So Sabbath is meant to be a time of fun. Fun is not a four-letter word. It's actually good for you, and we should have fun, mm. and we should have enjoyment. Yeah. And that's part of rest. Yes. You, you know what I mean? It doesn't mean not doing anything. It means not doing work. And work is not wrong. Again, Scripture's got a positive perspective on work. Work is good. But... 
so is enjoyment and so is fun. So having a Sabbath doesn't have to be a particular day, I don't believe, yep. but having a Sabbath is really important. So people in... Um, I've, I've coached people in ministry over the years and I tend to say, don't take your day off on a Monday because mm. generally most of us who've been preachers know that Monday your energy goes and often your emotions are low and everything else and it's not the best day to take off, especially if you've got family and so on. So you take I off think a day. Pa- I think only um, pastors know that. Everyone else would be oblivious to that. <laughs> yeah, possibly, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you take off the day that you're going to have the best time with your family. Yeah. So your Sabbath becomes really... Yeah refreshing and enjoyable and so yeah. on so i'm saying you know don't fix it to a day fix yeah. it to something that's going to work well yeah. in that sense isn't, so it, yeah. isn't it funny like something like just say talk about the sabbath for for a moment that mm. it is a it, it is a, it's instruction it's actually a gift that's supposed to refuel replenish bring delight mm. um, really bring you to life and yet we can actually take it and twist it to such a thing as oh, I'm, I'm like almost like i need to do that in order to be good. I need to do that in order to be a real... Uh, it's funny how we have this propensity to actually take the good things of God and kind of twist them mm. a little bit. Just human nature. I think we just need to think about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's like any... Our tendency is to make the law a straitjacket. Yeah. Make any rules a straitjacket, including Christian rules, instead of a set of principles to follow mm. that lead that, that reflect the freedom we're given in yeah. Christ yeah beautiful um, we might come back to the idea of principles as well because that's um I think um yeah a, a lot of Christians I meet including myself I, I, I like to be told what to do um so I sort of view scripture as prescriptive as opposed to descriptive which actually provides a framework into which we could actually live in freedom and liberty. Anyway, let's it's, talk about... It's because it's easier. Oh, for sure. I don't have to it's think so about it. It's so much easier to make black and white rules yeah. than to live with the messiness of real life. Yeah. So. I don't know. Do you guys like mess? <laughs> like it or lump it, we're messy, aren't we? Mm. You know? Um, I think it's beautiful to actually be part of a community where we acknowledge that there is mess. There is no perfect person here. Um, I would dare say... I know myself better than anyone else. So in my mind, I'm the messiest person in this church. Um, And I think that if we actually have a community where we're not surprised by that, where we actually learn to walk faithfully with God in the midst of that, where we actually help each other with that, where we can actually embrace these incredible tools that God gives us or spiritual weapons of grace, forgiveness, hospitality, welcome, and walk like... That would be, I mean, that surely would actually form us into a distinctly different people. Anyway, I can rant as well. Yeah, I, I think if, if we took the law as it was meant to be, yeah. we would end up looking like the fruit of the Spirit. Yes. I think that's one of the key things Jesus says is it's who you are on the inside that matters rather than what you do. Yeah. Um, and if we look like people who love one another, forgive one another, suffer long with one another and, you know... Community is messy. We're going to agree and disagree. I mean, any of us who are in a family know that, let alone in a bigger group where yeah. we, we bring all sorts of different perspectives. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so a couple of takeaways. It's okay for all of us in this church to be messy because mm-hmm. we already are. Um, and it's actually, you have permission to have fun in life. How about that? Mm. Um, and that comes from God, not from Nigel. Um, let's talk a little bit about New Testament. Well, he did about it himself. Huh? He did it himself. Yeah. Notice the end of chapter one of Genesis, God rests. Yeah. Not because God was tired, yeah. but he wanted to highlight the principle that 
this is a good thing. Mm. You know, you, you do your work and then you rest and enjoy. Yeah. Well, and he did. Yeah, I'll tell you what, yeah. I'm going to have some good resting this week. Mm. Um, so let's move into um, just talking about Jesus, talking about New Testament. Um, when Jesus says, Matthew 5, What's it mean when he says he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but came to fulfil? Um, because that's kind of outworked as we move through the New Testament. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of like um, Jesus' posture in that actually is this thing for us, which like in, in the past, I just like overread that. But there is this continuum. There's this connection with Israel's story, Jesus moving into our story. So that actually is our story. Mm. Um, so what does Jesus mean by that and moving forward into the New Testament? A lot of people forget that Jesus' ministry was to the people of Israel. Yes. Um, the, the meeting with the, the Syria, Syrian Phoenician, Syrophoenician woman, uh, who you know, talks about getting the scraps from under the table mm. and describe herself as a dog using the, the sort of terminology a, a Jew would use of a non-Jew, um, highlights that, and Jesus' response highlights that his attention was on the people of Israel. So their identity is tied up in being the people of God as described in the, the law, the writings and the prophets, the three parts of scripture, their scripture. So Jesus wanted to make sure that he was telling the people that I'm not taking you away from who you are. I'm not trying to say you are no longer the people of Israel as you understood in the law, the writings and the prophets. What I'm doing is actually taking them the next step or fulfilling, we can think of filling fully the mm. meaning of it. Yep. Um, we could talk about how to read prophecy and whatnot another day perhaps. But um, around Christmas, Isaiah 7 is really good for that. Uh, we'll do one. Eva's got another suggestion. She yeah. wants to well, talk let, about let, hell, but we'll do that in another conversation. Sorry, Eva. Okay. But anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... Jesus was saying, I'm, I'm taking it to its logical conclusion. Yep. Uh, now, why is he saying that? Because God is taking people on a journey. Mm. If you want to think about it this way, when he made his promise to Abraham, Abraham had no idea who God was, what God was like, how to... He worshipped the sun. He had he his, had well, you read, you read in the, the what we call the patriarchal history, those first yep. chapters. 12 to 50 of Genesis, they had their household gods and whatnot mm. still because they didn't know better. So why did you have the first commandment being, you shall have no other gods but me? Because they needed to hear it because having multiple gods was common. It's part of life. So from chapter 12 of Genesis through to chapter 20 of Exodus, God's taking the people on a journey. Through the rest of scripture, um, God's taking people on a journey. For example, the, you, it, it's almost comical if you want to read it this way, but it's really human. But the story of the people of Israel right up until about the 7th century BC is one of turn to God, turn away from God, turn back to God, turn away from God. You know, there's almost this, this circular approach. You see it really clearly in the book of Judges, mm. for example. But it continues through Israel's history until the exile. And the exile is a key turning point for the people of Israel where they learn a, a lesson, a really important lesson. One, God breaks the covenant. I think scripture says that really clearly. Um, the naming of Hosea's children, you know, um, not love, not my people, 
Um, oh, what's the third one? I hate it when I do this. Anyway, but the, the not my people... Oh, low air here. Um, he uses the, the, um, the same word from Exodus where he says, my name is Ehe, um, which we end up translating as Yahweh. Yep. Um, he says, I am not that God to you anymore. Mm. It's really, really yeah. strong yeah. language. Um, and you know, the people lose everything that defined them as God's covenant people. They lose the land. Mm. They lose the temple, which was the special dwelling place of God's presence. You know, the other gods of the nation conquered um, Yahweh, as they would have interpreted it back mm. in those days. And after being in exile, and you see the depth of their pain in, I think it's Psalm 137, 137, 139, mm. by the rivers of Babylon. You know, Boney Emma is a lot to answer for, by the mm. way. Made it so upbeat. They did it so upbeat, but you read <laughs> they the are pain lamenting in, you are in that. You know, they, that, you know they, they were devastated by this. But interestingly, after that, they never turned away to other gods. Mm. So they've gone on this journey from not knowing who God was to learning who he was to learning that he's the only God to worship, you know. And it's taken centuries. Mm. And Jesus is the next step in that process of... And uh, who says that? When the time was right, Jesus came. I um, can't remember where that's... Somewhere in the New Testament now. I can't remember where that came from now. But, you know... It, it, that sense of time is really important that God didn't and couldn't reveal all of who he was right back when he appeared to Abraham because the people needed to travel the journey to mm. understand. Just like we can't get to the end of our discipleship journey at the beginning. I like because how you it just is said a journey. That. Had to travel the journey in order to understand. Mm. Wow. So we, don't, we don't like that, that idea. I want to no. understand now, <laughs> not along the way. Oh, yeah, we're a very instant society. But, yeah, that's why I, I think Jesus can talk about being the fulfilment because he's, he's adding the, the last final bit, the clearest picture of what it means to be one of God's people mm. because we can see it in his life more than anything else. You know, he, here God becomes human, takes on human form, so we can understand. Mm. Um, you know, the, we, we don't appreciate how important the incarnation is. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, in my reading, um, as I'm reading through Paul's letters, mm. um, uh, I find it funny, like, sometimes we say, oh, we should go back to the early church, but the early church was so... Dysfunctional. So dysfunctional. <laughs> so much disunity in particular. And, and unity seems to be this really, really big thing. And um, so... Like outworking this this idea of God's instruction, being this prophetic people and all that, how does that kind of like hit us as this New Testament kind of church when there are so many opportunities for divisions, disunity and, and, and things like that? Okay, I think a really important point here is there's a difference between division yep. and disagreement, yes. between unity and uniformity. Yes. Um, we need to have unity, but we don't need to look the same as each other. And that applies both individuals within a local congregation mm. and with the church worldwide. Yeah. You know, I... That's a big challenge for us at the moment. Yeah, but I, I used to get... You know, I, I got converted in the Churches of Christ. You know, we, 
uh, have this big thing about restoring the New Testament church, blah, 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 and we were a bit arrogant about it in our history, <laughs> let's face it, um, as though we were the only true church. I've got a bit over that because I, I sort of view churches like people. They have different characters and therefore they're able to have appeal to different people in different ways. And no one church has got it all right. So if no one church has got it all right, then let's get over it. Embrace the journey. Embrace the journey. Yeah. Just like no individual's got it all right and we're all going to be better or worse than each other in different ways. And let's relax a bit about not being perfect and be a bit more tolerant. Mm. Kindness is an un, un, underrated word, but I think it's a really important Christian word. Look, I think those words are, are words that the world is using a lot at the moment. Mm. Um, I, I think there is, there is part of the world that is very has kingdom aspirations. Mm. Um, but I, I think that some of the things that, that the world's trying to aspire to, we have left. We, we, it's almost like we need to return to some of these things like kindness. What does it, what, what does it mean to embrace difference among each other? Um, what does it mean to actually have a different opinion? Mm -hmm. um, well, that would imply that you're a thinking person. It's like, I should, like, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that, yeah, my takeaway, there's a lot of takeaway so far for me, but just embracing the journey and understanding coming along the way. Mm. Um, and that means that even as we journey as a church, our understanding today is far better and far clearer and, and different to what it was like 10 years ago. Um, if you kind of like just 10 years ago, like we, we've, like I think that's something that applies to my life, but also um, us as a church. Um, just one question. I want to get into some contemporary things. So mm. seeing how um, this understanding of, of God's instruction um, can actually apply to us. Because I think that as a church, 2023, next five to 10 years, there are some opportunities to actually for us to think deeply about some social issues um, and um, think about it, not just think, oh, there's a black and white thing here, but actually literally think about it. Um, but uh, first, there was a question, um, just talking about the Holy Spirit, was the Holy Spirit present in the Old Testament? Um, and who was the helper that Jesus was talking about when he said, I'm sending a helper? Okay, the helper was the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, no question there. And you, you see it described, you know, wait and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then in the early chapters of Acts, it happens and so on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the helper was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is really important in this journey of transformation. Yes. And the definition of a Christian is you have the Holy Spirit. Let me be really clear on Amen. that. Amen. Um, and that's what helps transform us. We are a new humanity. Mm. Um, I could go on about some other stuff, but I'll shut up. Yeah, okay. uh, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, yes, it's there. Yeah. But the Trinity is something that occurred after Jesus because Jesus claimed to be God and he was killed for claiming to be God because that was blasphemy in ancient Israel. And the early followers of Jesus had to decide, well, what do we do with the fact that there is one God? You know, remember I said they learned the lesson because the early church was Jew were Jews they learn the lesson that there is one God. So what do we do with the, this guy is God and yet there's one God? And so they started to reflect on this and it took roughly 400 years, okay? So this 
was something the early church struggled with and there were all sorts of heresies and everything else. If you want some fun reading, go and read the first 400 years of the early church. Um, you know, in some ways, there's nothing new under the sun. Most mm. of the heresies that occurred then occur now. Um, but you know, they struggle with, well, what does it mean? And they came up with basically there's one God in three persons and the Holy Spirit is one of those three persons. Jesus is one and God the Father is the other. Mm. Uh, how that works is mystery. Yeah. Uh, anyone who says they really understand the Trinity hasn't thought deeply because yeah. it's one God, totally. Each one of the three persons is totally God. Mm. Um, and all the illustrations people use fall into yeah. various it's heresies. Just, yeah. So, it's you know, all, they're it's, all it's mystery. I'm happy yeah. to say it's mystery, okay? Yeah. And I'm okay with mystery, okay? God's bigger than I can understand. I'm okay with that. So you guys should be okay as well. We don't have to have all the answers. We just need to know the God we follow. And the Holy Spirit is God dwelling in us, changing us in a way that the people of Israel didn't have. And again, most theologians would connect that to the incarnation, actually, but we can unpack that another time. Beautiful. Um, Um, Yeah, before we move into some um, contemporary, because time's running out, we could actually talk for days, I know that. Um, Just one question about fasting, Hmm. the lost art of fasting. Um, Any thoughts on that? Um, as it relates to us, 2023? There, there are lots of spiritual disciplines that various parts of the church have kept, yeah. you know, particularly the liturgical parts of the church, Catholics, Anglicans, Orthodox and others, and they have benefit. Mm. Again, they can become rules and yes. regulations, but I think there are, like fasting, uh, other spiritual disciplines, um, prayer disciplines, um, one I really like is called the examine, where it's an intentional reflection on the day, looking for God's presence mm. in the day, at the end of the day, and you give thanks and, and so on. Yeah. You know, there's some real great traditions out there from the wider church that are really helpful. Don't make them rules, but make them tools in the way they're meant to be. So mm. fasting was to express either deep... Was, was to express deep feeling, usually either deep grief or deep intent or commitment about a topic so you would fast and pray as a means of expressing to god how important this was to you or you would fast and wear sackcloth and ashes Mm. because of the depth of your grief and so on so it had a purpose in expressing deep emotion um so yeah all right beautiful um just quickly a couple of minutes before we close um some contemporary social issues and the law um Interested um, in how we how we look at certain things, um, LGBTQI plus community, um, just divisions of politics. Um, we've um, got a referendum coming up. Um, seems to be very divisive. Um, how we ha- how can we think um, about these? And I, and I know that as we think about this, this is going to take deep thinking, um, it's not like a five minute, let me think about this for five minutes, it's mm. actually going to require some deep thinking in it, but um, have you got any ideas uh, around that kind of stuff? You may just want to take one and use that as yeah, an example. Yeah, I, I guess, let me say, start with a principle that it's really easy to listen to opinions that confirm your own. We all have this thing called confirmation bias where something that echoes our own existing thoughts sounds more persuasive. 
So that makes it actually really hard to And hear. we generally gather around people, birds of a feather. Flock together? I mean, Absolutely. flock together. Yeah. They flock together. <laughs> um, yeah, so we will seek out voices which are similar and so on. So it's really hard to hear dissenting voices. Mm. And we have to be really intentional about it and work at hearing the thoughts and principles behind it. One of the, you know, I lamented the lack of kindness in society. Mm. One of the uh, things we see nowadays is such a polarisation of thought and opinion where as soon as you disagree on anything, then you're the enemy, you're attacked. The hardest part here is learning to be people who hear the other side and to be thoughtful mm. because the church does not always get it right. And we can look through history and we know the church doesn't always get it right because we're full of fallen, human, messy people. Yeah, right? We've certainly got it very so, wrong at times. Yeah, <laughs> so a humility in your mm. approach to positions that are different to yours is really important. That's a very important principle. Mm. Things like the, the voice is a really good question because there's not a lot that in the, the, the scripture that addresses the rights of a First Nation people mm. in, in that sense because you, know, you just basically killed, pillaged and took whatever land you want. That was the culture back then. You know? It was a different time. Yeah. So to hear why people are saying this is a good idea or a bad idea and to hear the arguments behind the, re the rhetoric, behind the words and the emotion, but also to hear the words and the emotion mm. is really important. So I'd be, you know, I'm trying to hear both sides. Yep. To be honest, I haven't landed mm. because I, I can see arguments both ways. Yep. I haven't read the, the bill. That's going to be an important part of it. So for me, trying to to have a thoughtful response is going to be important. Mm. Um, I think that's important about that, yeah. that enemy-making. Yeah. Um, especially, uh, I think, with, with, with some of our um, um, tradition as, as Christians, over our history, we seem to be very good at making enemies. Um, when Jesus is pretty clear on, like, to actually love your enemies. Mm. I mean, I think like, we kind of fall apart <laughs> right there. Yeah. Um, I, I think that actually having that posture of like, I am not going to make enemies. In 2023, I'm not going to make enemies. I may disagree, I'm going to become informed, but I will not make enemies. That is a huge challenge for the church. Mm. And we will tend to very easily put people into boxes if they have a different belief system to us. Yeah, and, and that's dehumanising, isn't it? Well, it's dehumanising and it builds very harsh walls. Yeah. Um, and yet... God's example is you go and be with the people who don't love you, yeah. who you go and die for the people who hate you and things like that. So you know, if we're to follow God's example, then we go to them mm. with their best intent in mind, yet so often we as the church go with the intent of being right and winning an argument. Um, so our intent is really important. The, the sexuality thing... Um, I, I get disturbed by how aggressive, hateful so much of the conversation is on both sides. 
and the churches can be just as bad, you know. Um, there's one church in America, I forget the name of it, that's, that's famous for, you know, um, God hates fags and signs like that, you know. Um, we can have a position and disagree without hating the person. Mm. And I think one of the really important things to start with is no matter what someone's lifestyle, sexual orientation, whatever, they are people for whom God died and whom God loves. Mm. That's got to be our starting point. If, if grace is our principle of the gospel, that you, know, mm. you are set right with God because of God's action, not by how you live. So if we start there, mm. that God's heart is inclined towards these people. Frankly, I, th- I read the Ark of Scripture stuff we've talked about that we were created male and female, okay? I take that as my starting point. But then I take the second point that the world is messy and broken. Mm. So I, I interpret alternative sexualities just like I interpret hatred and envy and slander and all the, the things that occur in these other lists in Scripture that Christians forgeni- yeah. conveniently forget. Yeah. They're all expressions of the fallenness of human nature. Now, the big question I would be asking the church is why do we focus on sexuality so much and not on all these other things that are mentioned in some ways even more... More so, for sure. ...than than, um, the sexual stuff? How much time did Jesus spend talking about a topic? Ask that question, then that's where the weighting of our Mm. stuff should be. We've, in some ways... I'm sorry, but we've in some ways taken on American culture that's not good. And I don't hate Americans, but there's some aspects of American culture that's bled into Australian culture that's combined politics and religion, one, but picked on certain topics, too, that, that make it... That's your test of orthodoxy. That's your test of whether you're a true Christian or not. Are you for or against abortion? Are you for or against um, LGBTQIA plus? Whatever? I've, I've lost track of where That's it goes. That's why they got a plus. Yeah. Um, no, no, but they've added some letters and kept the plus. And plus. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we get focused on certain topics that actually the Bible doesn't focus on in anything like as much. Yes, it mentions some of these things. But, for example, some, some Greek scholars would argue that the words used in the um, New Testament relate to homosexuality, but particularly violent homosexuality. Mm. And some would say maybe it's actually sexual violence that's being talked about more than just homosexuality itself. There's some debate about that, all right? It's not landed. Yeah. But the point is there's stuff in our society that we don't talk about that we should, mm. um, you know, and there's stuff, if we emphasised, you know, I heard this morning on the, you know, we had breakfast and you listen to the news most mornings and um, on the news there was uh, talking about loneliness mm. and that middle-aged men are the, the loneliest cohort in society. If we actually were a community was a community that actually befriended people, that actually was kind to people, then we would actually be addressing one of the chief 
mm. health issues. The um, American Surgeon General, this is a good American one there, um, said, you know, it's an epidemic of loneliness. Yeah. You know, it, it's so bad. He's using that language because it shortens life. It decreases, uh, increases um, heart attacks, all sorts of things, as well as makes life really suck. You yeah. know, if anyone's been truly lonely, they know how bad it is. So, you know, here's something, just by being kind, open-hearted, warm people who some, reflect something of Jesus' nature, we could actually be addressing a major ill in our society. Mm. Why aren't we talking about that? Why aren't we raising issues that actually are important and why, and we, I mean the church, not us here necessarily, <laughs> you know, why are we getting hung up on one or two topics when sometimes there's much bigger topics yeah. to address? I think that's really great. Mm. Well, we've run out of time, but no, we, we could actually... I'm sure we've got another hour. Yes. <laughs> so we, we, we've been having this conversation about the law, doing a bit of a, a deeper dive. It's not really a deep dive, a deeper dive, and actually trying to get underneath what this is about. Mm. Um, and even talking just in those brief moments about some of these social issues, um, how we should be thinking about these things. And I encourage you to go listen to this again. Nigel's always up for a conversation. But like even among if ourselves... Huh? Particularly if there's coffee. If there's coffee. But even among ourselves, let, let, we, we, we need to talk collectively. There is a collective wisdom. Mm. This individual Christianity just has not worked for us. Well, it's foreign to Scripture. It Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> um, and... Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of what we want to do. Can we give Nigel a great hand? It's such a blessing to us. Um, could you just quickly just pray for us and then we will go forth and collect our kids and drink coffee? Okay, cool. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for being here with us and being part of our conversations. You, you will have been raising all sorts of ideas and thoughts among us. Lord, help us to hear what you're saying. Help us not to just hear in oh, look, there's God saying something, but to hear in the sense that it causes us to act. So, Lord, help us to hear what you're saying so that we become more faithful disciples, so we look just that little bit more like you. And we pray that your spirit goes with us as we seek to live a life that looks like you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's move forward. Thanks, Nigel. Okay.